Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here as we continue our series called Awakening. And it's been our goal over these past six weeks now to really call you to come awake to the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll explain that in just a minute. But once you're awake to it, it's our desire that you live aware of it. And now as we kind of finish the series, we're going to talk about what it could look like if we were all available. If we were all available with the gospel. That is that when God has entrusted it in our lives, he's entrusted it for you to pass it on to someone else. Not you for to keep it to yourself or to let it dead end in you, but for you to give it. Not just to live it, but to give it. And you know, that's, that's as we've looked at being available with the gospel, we've said that joy, when you take joy in Jesus, that is going to be the greatest motivator for you to be available with the gospel. It's the greatest, the epic reason to share the gospel is the joy that it brings in your life, the joy that it brings in the people that you're sharing, and the joy that it brings to heaven. As we look at it now, I want to talk to you again about the truth of the gospel. The truth, because the gospel is preached not to a pie-in-the-sky dream world. It's preached to reality. And as you look around you at the realities in our world today, things are broken. Things are in chaos. They're happening all around us. They're in chaos. But you know what? If we're honest, there also is chaos inside of us. And to that, the gospel preaches the good news. That amidst this darkness, amidst this brokenness, amidst the sin of this world and the sin within us, the light of the gospel shines in and lets us know God loves us. He loves us even though, and he demonstrated his love for us, even though that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he sent Jesus to live for you, live a perfect life none of us can live. And to die on a cross to pay the final price of our sin. And then to rise from the dead on the third day. And so when we come to Jesus, what we're doing is we're, we're turning from our sin to trust in him. That biblical word is repentance. I know we don't like that word repentance. It sounds too old school. But in reality, we, we repent every day. When you make a decision to turn from an area that's destructive in your life or not helpful to others, and you trust in a better way for you, that's what, that's what repentance is. And so you turn from your sin to trust Christ. And anyone who trusts in the person and the work of Jesus will be saved. Did you realize that? That's the joy of the gospel, that anyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved, secured, and restored to God. Folks, this is good news. It's good news because it doesn't rely on what you've done for God. It's rather what he's done for you that you're willing to trust him with. It's not what you're working for. It's what his work has completed. When you have Jesus, you have everything. Everything you need in a relationship with God, in an understanding of this world, and certainly uh, a preparation for the future and eternity. So if this is the greatest gift ever given, and it's the greatest gift ever received... Why do we struggle giving it away? Why is that such a a difficulty for us to give it to others? Well, that's what today is all about. It's for each of us to consider what we have in Christ and why that's worth sharing with others. I want you to leave here so convinced with your heart and your vision so transformed that you would literally live to give it away. Not just live to let it dead into you, but you would be available with the gospel. You know, this connects with a, with a a person in the New Testament called Timothy. And if you have your Bibles, open up there with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
Timothy, as the scriptures kind of show us, he's, he's this guy that was young. He was fairly inexperienced. He was most likely an introvert. He was timid. He was sickly even. And uh, he had the responsibility of leading a church, the church in Ephesus. Now, 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament. It's his last letter. He would soon be martyred for the gospel just outside of Rome. So this is what he, this is kind of what has been entrusted to me, Timothy, with the gospel. I want you to keep on going. And the apostle Paul had some big shoes to fill. Timothy looked at what Paul had done in Ephesus. Paul spent probably more time in Ephesus than any other of his other places in, in his ministry there. And Timothy said, I don't know if I'm up to the challenge. How can I advance the gospel when you've been such a great leader? And Paul says, do not be ashamed, man. Don't shirk back. Don't give these excuses because you have everything that I had in Christ. And we've got to remember that. I want to talk to you about three excuses that Timothy probably could have said to Paul that Paul addressed in this letter in 2 Timothy. And the first one is this. He had limitations. He had limitations. I hear the same one, same excuse when we think about sharing the gospel with others. Joe, I've never done it before. How am I to do it? I've never done it before. I don't know what to say. I've heard, Joe, I've just come to Christ. I'm a baby Christian. I'm, I'm, I don't have the maturity. I mean, after all, that's why we have Bible scholars. That's why I have seminary grads. Joe, we pay you to share the gospel. <laughs> don't you think the gospel is far beyond hired professionals? Absolutely. This is not a corporate measure. This is life. This is light. This is immortality through the gospel that God has called us in to share, to overflow from our lives to others. Others of us really struggle with speaking, speaking and holding a conversation. And that's a reality. I mean, we do better on social media than we do face to face. Maybe we don't. We really don't. I mean, we drop the bomb on Facebook, but then we We can't have a meaningful, caring, loving conversation with the people around us. Something is broken, people. The average amount of time we spend in a meaningful conversation is two minutes. Two minutes! I think we need need to go back old school and have face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact where you're sharing your heart with others. We We need to show that there's a better way to communicate. Don't, don't give your limitations to an unlimited gospel. And then the second one is, uh, is personality. Timothy could have hid behind, I'm an introvert. And my, don't we celebrate those in our world today? Hi, I'm an extrovert. I love people. And then there's the introvert too. Frankly, I go alone to be refreshed, you know. <laughs> and half the world is both is either, you know? So, so you think about how in the world, how in the world, if we hide behind our personality, we celebrate our personalities and we resent it when we're called outside of our comfort zone. And you know what? All I would say is God has wired us. He has wired us. You may be an introvert, you may be an extrovert, but you are wired for the gospel. It's not to be a limitation, it's not to be an excuse. God might use you one-on-one far better than he could ever in a room like this. And he might be able to use me in a room like this where you could do a far better job one-on-one than me. Don't ever let your wiring keep you from, from uh, the God of the universe who's going to use you to advance the gospel. No matter what your personality, folks, we're all invited in. We're all called to live it. And to give it to others. And here's the deal. God's plan has always been to use people to reach people. 
That's God's plan A. Plan B? There is no plan B. There isn't. If we don't do it, if we don't advance the gospel, guess what God's going to do? He's going to use other people, but he'll always use people to reach people. That's been his plan from the New Testament. It's his plan till Jesus returns. Then here's the third excuse. It's the excuse of resistance around us. If we're honest, I think this is the one that's, you know, eating our lunch every day. What will people say if I share Jesus with them? And you know what? The same excuse was given in the New Testament church, especially in Ephesus. They were ashamed of the name of Jesus. They were ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. They were ashamed of the people of Jesus. And those three things still win the day for us when it comes to sharing your faith. If you take a look at the name of Jesus outside of this room and in the world right now, Jesus Christ is used more as a curse word than he is a blessing. Let's just be honest. And so for you to talk about Jesus, you're going to have to re-clarify who Jesus is. You're going to have to explain who he was. In the, Greek, in, the, in the Greek culture, they were ashamed of Jesus because their hero was hung on a tree. He was, he was crucified to a cross. That seemed like the ultimate defeat rather than the glorious victory that the gospel was. But that's where we start. We start with Jesus taking the place of me and you on that cross. And that place meant that we have a position with God. It meant the forgiveness of our sins. But then there's the uh, being ashamed of the gospel itself, the good news, that it's not up to you to do all these things. It's up to what Christ has done in Jesus, for you on the cross. And you know what? In a performance-based culture, where we kind of like to think that we are where we are because of what we've done with our lives, and we take the credit for that, and we stack up with it, the gospel's going to humiliate us. And that's a good thing, because we all need the gospel. None of us are here because of the income we make. None of us are here because of the family background or because of the leadership position you hold. You're only here because of Jesus and what he's done in your life. And that's a great leveler. When we've kind of stratified different societies and different groups and different races, and the gospel says, no, anyone who believes is in. Anyone. It changes us. It confronts us. And we can be ashamed about that. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of that. And then the people of God, really, our fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. Some people don't come to Christ because, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll look like that person or I'll sound like that person. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because I don't want to sound like that pastor I had when I was growing up, that fire and brimstone, you know, <laughs> believe it or burn kind of guy. I don't want to be that person. Then, I mean, if you look around us, the church is even broken. We're far from perfect here. None of us are. We're broken. We're imperfect. And I grew up in the church. Some of my earliest memories are in the church. And I've been a part of a lot of people. My church family has been extensive. And there's even been some crazy people in my church family. But they're my family. They're my family. You're my family. We're broken. Don't be ashamed of other followers. Don't be ashamed of someone who's willing to be open with their faith. You don't be ashamed to share your faith. Don't let the resistance around you ignore the call and the spirit within you that God has called you to advance the gospel. So with this in mind, let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Open up there, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Paul writes this. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, 
through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us And he called us to a holy calling, not because of our uh, works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who, look at what Jesus did. He abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was an appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. These are rousing words by the Apostle Paul. Again, last will and testament. His last words had the greatest meaning to Timothy. He said, don't be ashamed. Live, Timothy. Know whose you are and what God has blessed you with. And that's really, I I think, the number one thing, if we really know what we have in Christ, we're not going to want to keep it for ourselves. If we really know what God resources our lives with, we're going to set that free in other people's lives. So here's three things that God has given us. He's given us. Take a look at verse 7. God has given us not a, a spirit, not of fear, but of, look at those things, power and love and self-control. Power and love and self-control. Those are the three reasons to share the greatest gift ever given to you. So here's the deal. If you're afraid to share your faith, that fear is not from the Lord. It's not. That's a personal fear or a fear due to the resistance around you. It's not the spirit God has given you. He's given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. Let's take a look at this. Number one, you have God's unlimited power. You are wealthy with God's unlimited power. Power just swallows up fear. I like what Paul says in verse eight there. Take a look at it again. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel. How? How do we share in the suffering? By the power of God. The power of God in our lives is going to move us to give it and live it uh, to others. I love what Paul would say in Romans, one of my favorite passages, Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, just quite plainly, is power. The power of God to forgive. The power of God to save and secure and to restore you. This power defeats the power of sin and death. God's power will also defeat his enemies. Those things of resistance within you and around you, God's power right now, not when Jesus returns, but right now you can have victory over that. And this power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in you if you have trusted in Christ. Don't give up. God's power hasn't given up on you. The faithfulness of God who began a good work in you will complete it. Will complete it until that day. So sharing the gospel, I've just realized this. It's a power struggle. It's a power struggle between my power and God's power. My power says, how can I get you to like me? 
How do I get you to respect me? How do you get, I get you to re- admire me? And we can kind of live for our power. But the gospel says, no, no, no. You aren't calling people to trust in you. You're calling people to trust in God through Jesus. And so that's that power struggle. We have to unplug from ourselves so that we can plug into God's power. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter what appliance you have at home. If it runs on electricity, it has to be plugged in, right? It does. It doesn't matter what it can do. If it's unplugged, it's just furniture. But once you plug it in, then the power comes through. And ultimately, ultimately, that is what works with the gospel in us. It's the power of God. You know, when when the realities of my limitations and my weaknesses, even my strengths and my successes, that's a power struggle. Am I going to try harder or am I going to trust in God deeper? Especially in an area you may not feel confident in. That's an invitation. Every weakness in my life is an opportunity. Joe, you can trust me. You can try harder. Why don't you try trusting me? God calls us into that. So we have his unlimited power. And secondly, we have his love, right? We have God's unconditional love. God's love is not based on our works, on what you do, our performance. The week we had last week, the week we're going to have this week. No, it's based on his unconditional love. Look at how Paul kind of fleshes this out. He said that God saved us in verse 9 and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because, look at this, of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love this passage. It's kind of like, think about this. Typically, when someone dies, we go, rest in peace, R.I.P., right? But when someone dies and they're a believer in Jesus, the gospel says, no, 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 it's not rest in peace. It's Christ abolished death. It's C.A.D. That's what, that's what John Stott said we ought to start changing all of our tombstones into. C.A.D. Because that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate at a funeral. Is Christ abolished death. This person lives because of the work of Christ. His unconditional love calls everyone in. You're wondering, what's my purpose? What's my place in life? You ever wonder that? We, many of us wonder that every day. Especially when things don't work out uh, according to a dream that we have. Well, God says, if you're my family... According to my own purpose and grace, you've been called in to share the gospel, to advance the gospel to the people around you. I love what Paul says in Romans 5, 5. He says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. See that? God's love has been poured into your life. And sooner or later, it needs to overflow, right? Right? Because God doesn't go, okay, just this amount of love today. Through the gospel, God says, how many people can I love around you? And he pours it so that it overflows into other people's lives. Have you ever gotten that glass of water on that hot day in August? Maybe you're outside working in, on your yard, or maybe you work outside, and you get that glass of cold water, and you go, yes, this was so awesome. You don't look at the thermos. You don't look at the pitcher and go, wow, that is a beautiful pitcher. I love that pitcher. You look at, this is good water. And that's the same thing. It's not the messenger that we celebrate. It's the message of the gospel. 
It's what the gospel does. It's the love of God for us. I absolutely love this memory verse that we've asked you to take a look at, and it's in this card that you received when you walked in today. It's 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Those two words, gentleness and respect, powerful words. You got to love people to be gentle with people and to give them respect. And so love is going to be that platform in which the gospel is preached. Yeah, one thing I always pray for before I get up to preach is I, I say a simple prayer. God, help them know that I love them. Because if I love you, then I'm going to treat you with gentleness and respect. How many times when, you know, you may have sat under someone who just was fire and brimstone and you didn't sense any love. We tend to turn that off really quick. When you can preach the gospel with love, my goodness, God opens loads of doors. We've got a guy here in our church who every week he starts with a new guy or a new, new woman uh, helping them drive semi-trucks. Dennis Brinkman. And Dennis Brinkman's kind of an introvert, great guy. He serves behind the scenes all the time. And a lot of stuff that happens around here happens because Dennis does it. But Dennis gets every week, he gets a guy who sits next to him or a woman who sits next to him. He's had every religion in the book right next to him. And he shares the gospel with each one of them. And you know what? Not everyone comes to Christ. Matter of fact, most of them turn him down or reject him. But here's what they keep saying to him. One thing is, is I could tell you what I believed and you still respected me. You still gave me dignity. You still loved me. Now, when you love people, then compassion is going to move you to share that. And people get that. If you treat people like a project, my goodness, people catch that one real quickly. So start loving with God's love what you've been given. And then this last one that God has given is he's given us his unwavering discipline. Remember, power and love. And the word in English there that we get is self-control. But really in Greek, what it means is to keep a wise head, to live wisely in a foolish world, to be strategic, to be intentional, to be disciplined around advancing the gospel. I think that's really important. Paul says, this is why I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher in verse 11. He says, that's why I suffer as I do. I'm not ashamed though, because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That whole view of Paul was he had self-control. He was disciplined. He was living wisely. And it was based on the unwavering faithful promises of God. He saw what was ahead of him through Christ and he lived each day in light of it. He lived and died with the simple perspective. It's this, I'm going to suffer now, but in the future, I'm going to receive the glory of God. I'm, I'm going to be rejected by people now to advance the gospel, but I'm ultimately accepted by God. And that's really what matters. I see the gospel compromising, basically changing to to scratch the itching ears of people, but I'm going to be uncompromised. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel because Christ is not ashamed of me. You see that? That's a perspective that radically changes. It's when we discipline our lives around the gospel that God just opens up the opportunities for us. Opens up the opportunities. You have God's intentionality. You 
have his strategy. You have his wisdom to advance the gospel. I want you to hear this story by Carol Denton. She's been coming here for a few years, and I really see in her a life that's disciplined around not only living the gospel, but giving the gospel to people around her. Listen to her story. I think you'll agree. I believed in God at a very early age, but then kind of put God in a box on a shelf and didn't really have much to do with him for a while. I started to have a real longing and hunger for, for something more, and that something more was to, to come to know Jesus. My desire to um, surrender to him and let him become more, um, more alive in me, more evident in me, has grown. It's been a long journey. It hasn't been like one point in time like some people can say. I started to realize that there, there was a God in heaven who loved me enough that he sent a son for me to stand in my place. It began with getting to know Jesus, reading his word, getting to know him through the gospel and, um, and through prayer time, you know, talking and listening to God and gathering with other people. The rest came naturally. I couldn't not talk about him. I was a nurse for 29 years. That was a calling for me. It felt like it was a it was a work that God gave me to do, to um, encourage and um, take care of people. And God called me to a different kind of ministry. It was a surprise. I didn't know He was going to change my my um, career path, <laughs> but He did. And um, so I work for the rescue mission now. I'm a job coach. We don't just give them. Um, skills for the workplace. We um, recognize that um, the only true change comes from the change that God does for us when He transforms our hearts and helping them to come alive. Just just start to come awake to God. The places where I've um, where God has um, used me or allowed me to be used. One of the places is the Doxazo mission trip, and I just fell in love with the whole Christ-centered service. Loved on the children and loved the people whose homes we were renovating. It felt like I had a new family. Because I became acquainted with Jeremy Wynn, he um, talked about the BLESS class. That was a a wonderful introduction uh, to missional living wherever you are in your neighborhood at the in the workplace with some very concrete skills and ways to live out your faith and just express Christ to others and I felt equipped and ready to do it even on a small scale also through the Doxazo um, program I was able to find out about the NetReach ministry I'm a mentor now and to three wonderful young ladies who live in the neighborhood and I love it um, it's, it's blessed me in so many ways and, and enriched my life and deepened my faith. There is a God in heaven who made me and loves me and that it meant so much to him that he, he came himself in the person of Jesus um, to make that possible because I can't earn my way to him. I can't work my way to deserve that relationship with him. So it is... It is just knowing that that God loves that deeply and that Jesus gave that sacrificially that makes me feel like how can I hold anything back when they've given everything. I don't know if you caught that last line. I, I can't hold anything back 
when he's given me everything. Here, here's, here's the deal. Last, last thing. Folks, you have God's unlimited power, his unconditional love, his unwavering wisdom. Give away. Do you realize how much of that you have? You are all billionaires in Christ. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm a billionaire in Christ. Say it. Yeah. You go, yeah, but I don't have money. Yeah. What do you think of when you think about a billionaire? Do you know there's 1,800 billionaires in the world today? 1,800. My goodness. A billionaire. When you think of billionaire, what do you think of? I think of Bill Gates. I think of Bill and Melinda Gates. They're worth, as of Friday's close on the market, they were $78 billion. Billion! You ever hang out with a billionaire? I got to hang out with one at my previous church. And, um, and it's interesting just to watch people around billionaires. I want what you have. I want what you have. Where's the billionaire going to be seated? I want to sit next to the billionaire. What am I saying to the billionaire? How can I impress the billionaire? How can I be his friend because, or her friend so that I can get what the billionaire has? It's the exact opposite of our world to the gospel today. How can I get what you have? Unless God opens minds to see the wealth we have in Christ. Think about that. Bill Gates, $78 billion. He makes seven, on 3% interest, he makes $75 a second, $4,500 a minute, and $270,000 an hour. I want Bill to be my friend. <laughs> you think, oh, I've got $3,000 in savings. I would gladly give 100 of my 3000 to my friend who's in need, Right? Well, if Bill were to do that, actually the friend that I had, if he were to do that, I would have $90 million. Oh, we're friends. It's something about that that even makes us allured to get what we don't have. Folks, you're a billionaire in Christ. And you know what? Bill and Melinda Gates realized not too long ago that they could never spend all their money and be human. <laughs> And they couldn't give it to their kids and feel right about it. So they built a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's the largest nonprofit organization right now. It has over $42 billion in it. And it has given so far $30 billion away. They joined forces recently with Warren Buffett. And had, he had 60 billion. So you take their 78 and his 60, and by far it's the largest nonprofit organization in the world right now. Because they realized they couldn't all spend it on themselves. There's no way they could do that. So they had to give it away. They started looking at the world around them and the blessing that it could be along with other, uh, groups and connections that their leadership has. And they advance helping people because they realized they could never spend it on themselves. We've got to have that same mentality with the gospel. We've got to. You're a billionaire in Christ. What you had, God has given. What you already had, God, you will never spend it on yourself. You have to give his power, his love, his discipline to others. You have an opportunity to live like this. And I just think about it, folks. 
the capacity of this room over the course of this weekend with God's power, his love, and his wisdom, my goodness, we're talking about a major awakening in our region if we would all just live available to the gospel. We've talked so far uh, as a church, this has been kind of our motto, you and two, that there's two people in your life who you already know, you don't have to go out on a street corner, you already know them, they don't know Jesus. And you care for them, you, you love them, but they're far from God. And you just think, how can God use me to share the gospel with them? So you start to pray for them. You begin with prayer. And then you look for an opportunity to either invite them to come or to have a conversation about Christ. And I've, we found, you know, that's the number one reason Fellowship Bible Church is growing. is because you look around you for people. You don't rob other churches of people. You look for other people who are far from God. And you invite them to experience. You share what God has shared with you. I want to just tell you another opportunity that we have to equip you in sharing your faith. It's called Bless Your Neighbor. And this is, it goes with, think of the tic-tac-toe board, right? And think of where your house is located or where your apartment is. And think of the people in front, behind you, to your sides, and then all around you. There's eight people God has already placed around where you live. Eight people. If you go, oh, Joe, I live out way out in Auburn, and I don't have any neighbors. Well, where do you work? What do the cubicles look like? What about the people that you talk to each day? Do you know we all have conversation with at least 10 people a day? That's the average. 10 people a day God puts in front of us. What kind of blessing are you going to give them? Think about the potential here. If just the people who came to FBC this weekend were available with these people, guess how many people we would reach? We would reach over 16,000 people in our region. It's amazing. And none of us have to move. None of us have to go to Africa. God's already put us, put people around us who are lost, who need him. Now, not everyone will trust in Christ, but maybe there's two in that mix who are open to the gospel. Folks, living aware to the gospel and being available for the gospel will transform this community. I want you to think about being a part of Bless Your Neighbor. It's a workshop that we're going to be holding next, uh, next week, weekend, uh, beginning on the 23rd. And this will really help you just to open your eyes and, and to also to kind of be equipped and how to share the gospel in a meaningful, authentic, natural way, rather than a sales pitch. We want to share Christ in an authentic way, especially as he's blessed you with so much. So be connected to that. Here's the deal, folks. You have been so blessed by God. Why would you ever be consumed by your own limitations when you have God's unlimited power? Why would you ever hide behind your personality or your wiring when God sources you with his unconditional love? Why would you ever allow the resistance around you to intimidate you when God wants you disciplined and strategic with the gospel? The answer is, the answer is, there is no good reason. You've been blessed. You're a billionaire in Christ. Live wealthy with the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in this place. 
where we can share some moments in your word and we can draw near to you and kind of listen to your heart, listen to your mission, be called into your vision. And Lord, begin with me, but use each of us, each of us who knows and trusts Jesus, not to keep it to ourselves. help us to give it away. Lord, we could never exhaust your power and your love and your wisdom. So help us exhaust our lives sharing it with others. Lord, we trust you to work your power, your love, and your self-control through us. And may many come to Christ. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.